We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other word? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's going to be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello, and welcome to the Televerse, Sound Insights TV podcast. This is Kate Kalsik, and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's New York? Uh, I'm in Queens now, and it's... It's quite lovely. I mean, it looks lovely. I wouldn't know because I'm inside this apartment by myself recording a podcast because <laughs> this is how I travel. Well, you know, that's the, that's the way to travel, right? My, my recent travels are basically Montreal, where we recorded so many podcasts, uh, at least segments. That is true. So I, I think that makes sense. Um, now, have you done your, your mega walk yet? No, my, because I was staying in a different place where I was supposed to walk to Manhattan from, and my hostess sort of forbade it. She's <laughs> like, you can't do that. It's impossible. Because it's crazy? Sure. <laughs> well, it wasn't just the length. It was the fact she wasn't sure if, if I could even walk in all those places. So anyway, so now I've just been sort of spreading out the same amount of walking over more time in different places. Okay, but you've been enjoying yourself, I would assume? Yes. Let's say that. <laughs> Yeah, you had some some bad traveling luck, but uh, from from what you've been saying, but still, you're in you're in New York. You're going to Tribeca. It sounds like you've been seeing some interesting films. I've been seeing some films. Yes, some of them are interesting. Uh, but well, we'll I actually have a, a reference to Tribeca to drop a little later, which is probably less than flattering. But I have been having a good time with some of the films. Well, that, that's uh, that's fun. And of course, you have write-ups for all of those at sendonsite.org. Uh, are yes. you going to do like a festival wrap-up? I don't know yet. I'll let you know when I'm <laughs> when I'm through. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, I will have my article up at sendonsite.org this week. And uh, in sort of inspired by the 25th anniversary of Fox, which, of course, uh, they had their special on um, this past Sunday, uh, I've decided to write a defense of the Friday night death slot. Now, you weren't familiar with this term? No, I've, I, I've been familiar with it for, I mean, at least since a couple seasons ago but uh, i'm not sure really if it's if it's long and illustrious history or at least you tell me it is <laughs> well yeah, i mean as somebody who was watching firefly as it aired uh when, when i was in high school yes i've been very familiar with the friday night death slap for quite a while i look forward to the hate mail i'm certain to receive I know for a lot of people, the that is the bane of their genre television existence, the Friday Night Death Slot. But uh, I, I, I look, I, I have some, I don't know, for me, uh, positive uh, takes on on that. So that means that's going to be coming up, coming out later this week, probably Wednesday. Um, but yeah, there's also, of course, all of our coverage of all these different television shows that we don't necessarily talk about on the on the podcast uh, over at Sound on Site. Uh, just yesterday, once upon a time, went up. Reviews went up. There's Grimm. There's and we've just added Eureka. Should be mentioned. Yes, Eureka just started up its final season. Uh, I, I, it's a series I've very much enjoyed when I've seen it, but I'm 
definitely behind. So I'm glad that we have somebody covering it because it feels like it's, you know, for a lot of people, it's a significant show coming to its end. So that should be fun to follow. Um, Let's see. We have some some comments from people uh, or or tweets, as it were. And we had asked uh, what people thought we should check out or, or maybe cover something else instead of what we're currently doing. And Keith suggested the client list, which I haven't gotten to yet, Simon. Uh, no, I only am aware of the uh, movie of the same name, which I'll confess didn't interest me. So we'll see if we check in with that a little once things sort of die down here, like they're certain to in a few weeks. Um, but then Ken suggested if we we're going to drop something, we should drop the reality shows. So I would assume Amazing Race and uh, and Vo- The Voice. and and But he suggests we check out Young Justice. I know Michael Ryan's a big fan of that one, right? Yes, which is exactly the sort of thing that Michael Ryan would be a huge fan of. Not saying that to disparage you, Michael, but it's it's definitely a Michael Ryan program. Well, yeah, it's one that I've heard a lot of, of praise for, not just from, uh, from Michael and Ken, but I, I feel like that is one that... Uh, assuming it's still going to be on in a few weeks that that we should should probably at least i will probably check out just see what everybody's been talking about um let's see at the end of the podcast we are going to have mr ricky d on the show finally it's he was on a while back to talk breaking bad but this is his first dvd segment and uh dvd shelf segment that is and we're talking my so-called life which is a series that i just love so very much uh so that'll, that'll be coming at the end of the show. That was a lot of fun. But we should probably uh, get into this. Yeah, let's do this. So we're starting on Tuesday with the pilot to the L.A. Complex, which is going to actually premiere this coming Tuesday. So tonight, for those who are really on the ball with the with listening to the podcast, um, it's called Down in L.A. Now, this is a Canadian uh, import. It aired I think it, it, its entire six-episode first season in Canada last year. It's airing on the CW starting uh, today, the 24th. Um, but the pilot's been up online at the CW.com, so I figured I should check in on it. Um, it's about a group of, of young 20-somethings, all of different uh, with different interests, trying to make it in L.A. It's pretty uh, pretty stereotypical as far as it's characterizations and plots i mean I, I liked it well enough it was fine it wasn't great for me but i could see how it would be of interest to a particular subset like if that plot synopsis or just g- general show idea seems interesting to you then it's probably worth, something worth checking out i know that um some will recognize of course jewel state in the cast who is Kaylee on Firefly, as well as being on Stargate Atlantis and uh, so some other uh, series, uh, sci-fi series. So she's definitely a genre favorite. This is a very different kind of character for those who know her from her genre work, but it's she's doing a good job with what she's given. Um, there's some other faces you may recognize. Uh, the actress's name escapes me, but Gretchen Speck from Wonder Falls is one of the main characters, so that was fun for me to see her in something else. Uh, but yeah, for me, it it not it wasn't good enough to make me want to sit down next week to catch it with so much other great television happening at the moment. So it's gone something that you've actually seen, uh, New Girl and Kids. What did you think? Can we just nix the whole Winston subplot, the ongoing thing with him and his boss? Because New Girl is really funny, but that 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 recurring thing is not doing anything for me. Uh, other than that, I thought it was a fine episode, although it's the second time in, like, five or six episodes 
that they've brought in a possibility that you know that they're never going to follow through on. Uh, before it was, uh, you know, the cancer scare. Mm-hmm. And this time it was the pregnancy scare. And, you know, it's it's not a terrible idea to sort of dredge up some of these ideas just to see how the characters react and see how it sort of shifts things around. But it's, I don't know, they were too close together, I think. That didn't bother me, actually. And I think it's because the approach was so different. The, the cancer scare episode was much... Uh, it was much less uh, comedic in general. It was more serious in tone and uh, uh, really all of the subplots. There weren't separate threads with all the characters. They all pretty much came together. Whereas this time, uh, it was a much more comedic take, I thought. Uh, I, I, I enjoyed the episode. I'm with you on the Winston stuff. It doesn't quite fit in yet. I feel like they're still trying to work out exactly what to do with that character. And it was the same thing with his, like, babysitting gig from a few episodes ago. Like, they, they, they just sort of have him on odd jobs, and they're almost never funny. Well, and I, I, I imagine they were trying to connect in his boss as being a, a big kid, being, acting like a child, and connecting into right. the thread that way. But it just wasn't that funny, so it didn't really work. Yeah, no. And whenever he's with the gang, he's hilarious. He's great. His monologue from the previous week was, was <laughs> awesome. But yeah, they they just sort of have him out in the wilderness and it's not doing the show any favors. Yeah, I did really like Sarah as, as a character. I'm I'm hoping they bring her back and seeing uh Jess in, you know, trying to juggle everything worked really well for me. I know that Jess isn't the most interesting character to me on the show, but I thought this one featured her and was was a pretty good one, so. Yep, I agree. Now, we're going to go right on to Thursday and community virtual systems analysis and this uh I have a feeling this one wouldn't be your cup of tea uh, based on your complaints for community, but I had a lot of fun with this episode. This was, of course, basically Abed and Annie in the Dreamatorium and starting out with uh, some Inspector Space Time, which was, uh, you know, just right up my alley as a a Who fan and a classic Who fan at that, too. Uh, It was just so, it was so, so much fun. But then just taking it in, with to the 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 levels of meta but also um character analysis that we got this week i think was really well well handled and i I liked what we got particularly in their look at annie and and the all of the things that they've been teasing with annie and jeff and i i thought that that was well handled and hopefully that'll be it for that storyline for a while at least for me, I'm not that interested in that part of the story. But, um, but the rest of the episode I thought was was really strong, and and it was just it was a lot of fun to to see Allison Brie and Danny Pudi get such uh, so much material to work with. So I, I had a lot of fun with this episode. Um, next, there was uh, Thirty Rock and Murphy Brown lied to us. I have to give props to Tracy Morgan for giving me the probably the best laugh line of the week when he um, when he happened to mention. Twitter, the media savvy crack crackhead he knows. Uh, that really, that really did it for me. I thought this was an interesting sort of inadvertent response to the last few episodes because I mean, so much of this this season of Thirty Rock has been about stasis and how, and them joking about stasis and how we really can't do anything here. And this week they actually threatened to do some stuff, which was interesting. Uh, I mean, the the whole thing with Liz sort of realizing that she could be a mother and that she maybe kind of wants to i thought that was 
that's an that's I mean it's sort of a standard direction, but it's an interesting one for them to go. I'm intrigued by the fact that James Marsden seems to be sticking around, mm-hmm. which I wasn't expecting. Uh, I don't know. What did you think? Um. Yeah, I didn't. The, I mean, the Twitter line was was funny. It wasn't that funny to me, but I, you know, that that that's definitely one of the better asides, I guess, that they've given Tracy. Uh, as far as the 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 main storyline with Liz, I thought that uh, yeah, I, I like the way that they're going, and more than that, I like that James Marsden. It's Chris, right? Is the character name? Yeah. I like that he seems to be in for the ride. And I look, you know, they seem to have a relatively functional relationship. And that's something that on this show is very rare. Uh, so I look forward to seeing them, th- those characters go move forward and, uh, together. And and hopefully they'll, they will keep him around long enough so that we can see Liz continue to be in a functional relationship instead mm-hmm. of playing the same notes of all of her boyfriends are terrible. And did you notice we had no Kenneth? Or very little Kenneth. Yes, and I no, did. No writers' room. Yeah, that also benefited great. from it. Yeah, it was it was good. And the thing that actually, I think my favorite thing from the episode is just I'm looking forward to the teased return of Elizabeth Banks as uh, Avery Jessup. So, right, yes, that I I enjoyed that character a lot, and hopefully that means she's coming back. The little tease we got here. Yeah, I thought that was a fairly clever way to bring her back as well. Yeah, yeah. The 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 oh, and we got to mention those uh those ads with Stacy Keach. Oh, yeah, Stacy Keach. Oh my god. <laughs> that was the other thing that had me practically breathless was especially his last ad. Mm-hmm. When uh, did for... America get so soft? Oh god. If he's not if nobody act- hires him as an actual pitch man after this or if that's not work that he really does. Mm-hmm. We live in a godless universe. <laughs> it, it was very, uh, it, it was very well done, well executed, well written, well, uh, well performed. All of that it was a lot of fun, um, but it still for me wasn't quite as good as Parks and Rec live ammo. Definitely not. This was actually my initial choice for the spotlight, but we sort of nixed it, which is not to say that it wasn't an awesome episode. So very, very happy to have Parks and Rec back. To me, this wasn't. I mean, this necessarily this wasn't necessarily one of their funniest episodes, but I think it was a really satisfying one in terms of where they're headed with the whole election plot. And to me, since this plot has kicked into gear, it's been by far the most satisfying part of this season for me. Yeah, it's been really strong. And I mean, just just the way that the episode ends and the the tone on which it ends has me so excited for for the coming episode the debate uh and i'm sure paul rudd will be great i've heard nothing but positive reviews for this coming episode i think it was written and directed by amy poehler definitely written by amy poehler so it should be uh it should be a lot of fun but i mean katherine hahn is is great and seeing her back was a lot of fun and but but then also i think we should also mention how great the subplot is with april yes that that you know that's sort of been the other through line for season four has been what they're doing to give april more to do and see and how sort of she's evolving as a character and i like that they're not making it easy or simple they're sort of they're Mm -hmm. doing it it, it's baby steps which is what it (laughs) would be in in her position and uh and of course, there was also lots of adorable animals, which which helps is never a, a problem. Definitely doesn't hurt. And the other thing about this episode is that it presented a real 
problem in a real situation and it's a, a very relatable one and we'll talk about veep later in the episode which had its premiere but it's a look at at an element to to govern to local politics and government where there's you know especially in this economy there's only so much money and so having to to make choices between the parks department and the animal shelter and Anne's job i mean it's it's a situation that a lot of small government uh, you know local government is in at the at the moment not to mention the the larger political uh you know monetary issues budgetary issues that's going on in america right now so i like that there wasn't an easy solution that leslie couldn't just snap her fingers or look through the the budget a little bit more and and have an easy answer we should also mention uh before we move on brad woodford bradley woodford was great yes so i i want to have him back on my like i went to see cabin in the woods uh, last week and in that opening scene with him and richard jenkins it was just I I miss Bradley Whitford from my television so much. <laughs> but Yeah, he's he's very good. We should move on to Eagleheart and bringing up Bezor. You liked the premiere a lot more than I did. What did you think of this episode? I I, I think it helped that I'd seen the first season so I had a pretty good idea what to expect. Um this week the my my main takeaway is there's this great sort of David Lynch gag that involves a a commercial that keeps that keeps showing up and then eventually it just sort of sticks around and they're really confused as to what it is and it's just staring back at them <laughs> and i thought i thought that was that was fantastic uh the rest of it was was fine but uh but nothing spectacular oh i like this episode a lot more than the premiere i thought it was oh, so much go. funnier uh maybe it's just because the the premiere was was that extra level of crazy maybe uh, maybe. Or maybe it's just because now I've had two episodes to watch, so I like care about the characters that much more. But I, I had a lot of fun with this episode, and uh, I'm I'm actually looking forward to next week's episode now, where oh, I wasn't necessarily. Hooray. This was the last show that I watched this week. It was sort of a, a oh, I have to make sure I also get to Eagle Heart. Whereas next, you know, this coming Thursday, I will be excited to to, to mm -hmm. watch it. So. Was... And I forgot to mention last week, this is the show that brings Maria Thayer back to our TV screens, which always makes me happy. And yeah, I, I mean, and Brett Gelman, I sh we should also mention, is great in the dual role yeah. as, uh, as Bezor. Yes, yeah, so much fun. But we should move on. Uh, next is Awake and Night Swimming. This, you know, I, I feel like Awake was really on a streak of so sort of very nearly awesome episodes. This was just okay, I thought. I mean, it was sort of sweet and... And, you know, well-intentioned in terms of where the show's at. And it's nice to see that they're really d doing everything they can to prep for the Oregon move. And, I mean, we'll see what derails it or if anything does. But I thought it was kind of a minor fillery episode, personally. Yeah, I was really intrigued by the opening because, at least for me, it promised more... Uh he's crazy kind of yeah, twisty turny and then it i mean the the resolution of that was very sweet and and well well handled but most of the rest of the episode for me was again it was it was subpar for awake for another legal procedural or criminal procedural it would have been like if this was the caliber of the NYC 22 pilot it would have been a vast improvement, but for Awake, this was a little disappointing. Yeah, and the case of the week was not terribly interesting to me. Cases, I should say. Yeah, yeah, but the, I mean, I would say the cast continues to be to be strong, and I will I will miss the show when it's gone, assuming that it doesn't get it's picked. It's probably up. gone. Yes. Yeah. yeah, and I I should mention also that 
Well, we we've been sort of like in the past we've we've said like oh well Wilmer Valmarama didn't isn't stinking the place up so good for him but I, I we should say that I think he's actually been good yeah which he's I wasn't expecting. actively been a benefit in, uh, to the show he's been one of their strengths then again they don't really have at least in the casting I don't see a weak point but uh, not but really he, no he's definitely contributed which when you can when he's He's the the counterpart to Steve Harris. That's not necessarily an easy task to match up. I mean, I really enjoy Steve Harris. Maybe that's yeah, just me. But definitely. when when he's the counterpart to him, you know, Wilmer Valderrama had to step up to the uh, to the plate, and I think he did a good job, or he has done a good job, and I look forward to the last few episodes of the season. But let's move on to Vampire Diaries: Heart of Darkness. I will keep this spoiler free so that you can stay. Uh, stay out of the zone of isolation um uh, a solid episode not amazing um but had it had some 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 nice moments the biggest thing for me and i mentioned this in my review uh at soundoutside.org that they had some really unfortunate track choices soundtrack choices they take when you start with a scene that's already rather emotionally fraught shall we say to add in a a rather emotional song on top of that i mean one of the scenes one of the uses of 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 soundtrack in this uh, episode was while there was dialogue happening so i i just i don't understand some of their choices some of the the music that they were using in the episode was was good it's good song they're good pieces but added into the context of the episode i felt like it really didn't necessarily work um so so hopefully that's something that they can improve on but there's a lot of this episode that was that was strong i really love uh, i mentioned in my review too the the cinematography of this series it's it's so visually striking such really dark blacks in their when they're in the shadows and and really um the look of the show is such a, a part of the character the tone of the whole of the whole series so there's some some strengths to the episode um some scenes that i know a lot of fans have been waiting for but in general not quite as as good as some of the other episodes this season so i will leave it at that and move on to supernatural of grave importance and uh bobby's back you know granted he was back last week but this this week he actually gets to be on screen and talk and you know because because uh ghost bobby is still bobby and it's still jim beaver so i will still take him Um, wait does this mean that we haven't had a jim beaver free week in a long time i think so between uh this and uh justified the season yeah absolutely Uh, it's all good for me absolutely and it's it's nice to have him back on the show Uh, i like that they're not skating over the the issues of hey my friend died my surrogate father died oh wait he's not dead he's a ghost which means theoretically he will be stuck forever and not move on to the afterlife and on a show where you actively know that there's an afterlife one of the characters has got well both of the characters have gone to hell and spent prolonged periods there and both of the characters have gone to heaven and spent prolonged periods there so when, when there's a definite afterlife, the the knowledge that this person I care so much about will, in theory, because they still don't really know exactly how ghosts function, not ever get to rest, is is a difficult one. And I like that they're actually addressing that. Um, as for the rest of the episode, they introduced some a new character um, who 
then and then immediately killed her off but she was she was a nice addition to the show um and now that bobby's back i have a feeling i may care a lot more about the leviathan arc that we have going um so i thought it was a a, a pretty strong episode and i'm glad to have jim beaver back and hopefully his addition will help carry the rest of the arc through the finale um next we have fringe letters of transit and uh this was for me a, a contender for for spotlight. I'm feeling I liked it more than you did, um, if yes. only because of the observers. Why don't you give your thoughts? Well, I don't know. I mean, th- this season I think has sort of been all over the place. Especially, I mean, we'll see how they're planning to wrap this up exactly. But yes, let's talk about the observers. So, what can they do exactly? Because I, I swear that not that long ago they were teleporting themselves and they could see all of time and, mm-hmm. you know, they were basically like demigods. And here we basically see them walking around, you know, first of all, walking to places and with their like jackbooted thugs who look like they have like discarded Nazi uniforms, which I've found very strange. And, you know, they, they sort of arbitrarily read people and they're not very good at it and... I don't know. I just I'm I'm finding the I I wish there was a lot more. If they're going to have the observers be such an important part of the show, which before they were like just one undercurrent and now they're sort of everywhere, I would have liked some much stricter definitions as to just who they are, what they can do. I see I don't have that trouble because I we know who they are. They're future humans and we know they have much more advanced tech, which is how they are able to to view time outside of the linear way that we view it now because they have that they've figured out that technology and the people who are going back in time to to view historical you know significant historical moments seem like they were more of an advanced team finding the right time to swoop in and take over and uh when they did then they came on mass and that's why there are so many of them what i am more interested in is why are there no female observers that seems strange that to me. had not even occurred to me i, I don't know i just I, I'm, I'm still struggling like i'm i can't picture what the inside of an observer's mind is like because i don't know when they say that they don't experience time in the same way what does that mean exactly like and, and why don't they know that they're trying to be foiled or, or rather that Henry Ian Cusick and his team are like are are trying to find a way around it like how do they not see this eventuality especially when they're being you let's s- be honest less than great about being Okay but but, but you you say he, Henry Ian Cusick's team it's not his team it's him and Georgina Haig they're they're two of them Yeah they're a team and Walter that's a well, team. Well, yes, but Walter only comes back later. Like, so Walter... Three is a team. Walter comes back in this episode, and they specifically mention that uh, that Etta has this ability to to block the scans or to, 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 pe- to beat the, the observer scans that other people don't. So it's not that the observers are bad at scanning. It's that she's good at blocking, and we don't see anybody else get scanned. We see, like, one other person get scanned, and they get scanned successfully. So, I don't. I see where you're coming from somewhere. I don't know. I just. I but, really. I really think they've done a, a a not great job defining what the. I may. I. I. I know that they've done a fairly good job saying who they are. I don't uh-huh. think they've done a great job of saying what they can do. Well, and I imagine that this is what we will get more of. I imagine we'll start getting more answers to that 
if the show gets picked up for a final season. <laughs> Which probably isn't going to happen. But Because we do need to move on, but we haven't talked at all about about the actual, outside of the observers, we haven't talked at all about the episode, and I think a lot of it is really good. I think they did a great job of casting. I, I mean, Henry Ian Cusick, I love from Lost. You are re- just getting to know him on Lost. I think he's great here. I think Georgina Haig is really good. I've never seen her before, but I, I was astonished by how quickly I really cared about these characters and how, how quickly they're able to draw me into this new world and to, I mean, it it seems pretty pretty quickly you figure out that Ada is the daughter of of Peter and Olivia, but but well, still, and, and and by quickly you figured out you mean that they have her speaking with basically the exact same intonation, phrasing, and she also looks a lot like her. Well, actually, the thing that I was almost somewhat distracted by going, did they go back in time and plug Gwyneth Paltrow? out of her early career. She looks so much like Gwen Paltrow to me, um, Georgina Haig. But the, I, I don't know. I thought that the writing was really good. I thought, I love that they took time with the characters when they're waiting to try to fix Walter. There's some nice real character beats that I wasn't necessarily expecting them to, to spend the time to show us. Um, and I thought John Noble was great being crazy Walter. I think, you know, Blair Brown was really nice in her scenes with, with John Noble, I the aging up of Broyles was more not so good. That that didn't really I work. I actually didn't think I didn't think the aging of Blair Brown was very good either. Uh, but I I do have another criticism, which is it. There was some really awkward expositional dialogue when they were sort of explaining what's ha- like, especially one scene where Henry and Cusick is detailing what happened on the day the observers came, and then they actually have Edda say, "Oh." That was the day the observers came fifteen years ago. Yeah, we know. We saw the opening thrall. Like we don't need to hear you say it again. I thought that was fine. Didn't bother yeah. me at all. They wouldn't talk like that. They all know exactly what happened. It's like uh, it was like a million times more traumatic than nine eleven. Anyway, did, I didn't notice it. It didn't bother me. Now, did you? Fine. So, did you like anything about this episode then? No, I I liked most of the things you're mentioning. I'm just really frustrated with just. I'm I'm getting just a general lack. Like it just feels like the show's flailing in a few different directions right now. Like I I have no idea how the David Robert Jones, bat wing army is going to go it's, tie in with any of this. Or I assume it it's not. There there are only three episodes left, and the last two are a two parter. So, I would imagine that that is not going to come back. Yeah, it it feels like they're they're throwing a lot of stuff out and seeing what sticks and. If, and if the show gets canceled, canceled as I kind of still feel it will, mm-hmm. then I, I'm having a really hard time picturing a satisfying end. But we'll see. Stranger things have happened. Yeah. I I, I really like this episode. So I guess uh, we'll see what happens next week. Hopefully we'll be more on the same page and it'll be a stronger, uh, a strong move towards the finale. But we should move on to Sunday. And let's let's start with Girls Vagina Panic. Right. So last week we seemed to be the only people on, in I think I would say in the world, <laughs> who who weren't immediately crowning this the greatest show ever. I did actually think this was an improvement for me, if only because I actually chuckled a few times, which I wasn't getting out of uh, out of last week. I think for me, if if I if I have like a an easily definable problem with the show going forward, it's there's a certain cartoonishness to the characters, especially like the. The Zosia Mamet character, so Shoshana, 
that I think is sort of clashing for me with the sort of quasi-realist aesthetic of the show where it's gritty and and the dialogue is sort of more realistic in some senses or sort of over the top in others. I don't know, I'm I'm finding a little bit of disconnect in the way the show is executed, but I mean, that's the sort of thing that they can easily resolve going forward. Yes, actual laughs and also some... uh, I, I thought the opening was effectively creepy, maybe too effectively creepy. <laughs> yes, definitely, definitely creepy. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was, again, I, thought, I would agree it was an improvement uh, over, over the pilots, which is always the, you know, the direction you're hoping for with these things. Uh, the, I still wasn't uh, laughing, but I'm interested in uh, the progression of the show. I look forward to watching the rest of the season and seeing how the show progresses, even if I don't necessarily care about most of the characters. So I'm definitely looking forward to the rest of the season. And uh, it's more of a curiosity for me than something I'm, I necessarily am dying to watch, but Mm -hmm. it's definitely, it's one that I'm going to continue to watch and, and and keep up with. And if based on how much I actually enjoyed the pilot aside from my more sociological curiosity about having this point of view on television this is a show that i wouldn't have continued watching i, I there are other pilots that i liked more that i haven't kept up with um and so so f- for me it's it, it's it's sort of a strange a little bit of an odd duck for me because it's i'm not yeah. laughing compare this episode with uh, parks and rec or 30 rock this week i would say or community I like all of those better. I, 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 as far as like being a comedy that I watched and I laughed at and I enjoyed spending mm-hmm. time with those characters, I was far more entertained by all of those. With girls, yeah, I think that's fair. I, I'm interested in watching the world and watching the. It's sort of I felt it's I feel like it's kind of like Louis, where I look forward to watching the artist in this case Lena Dunham explore things that are interesting to her. Mm-hmm. So we'll see where where it goes. Next, we have the pilot to Veep fundraiser. Right, and this this is a show that I've been absurdly excited for. I love Armando Iannucci. I love the thick of it. I love In the Loop. And I like Julia Louis-Dreyfus a lot and some other elements of this cast. So for me, like, I don't think there's any way the pilot could have been good enough to be... I mean, I, I don't know. Th- those are all sort of comedy apex things, and this is something new. I actually... I thought the pilot was solid... I, I I laughed quite a bit. I think the issue for it right now is, is on the thick of it and, and in the loop, they sort of managed to fold in sort of these backdoor dealings with sort of larger policy issues and ultimately do wind up having some sort of resonance uh, in, a, in a strange way. And here, they're, at least in this pilot, they're sort of content to have these these backroom antics just sort of happen and they they tell us about the characters but they don't actually have any wider implications and i'll be curious to see what they do with that going forward but here i mean we're just sort of getting to know the characters and there's quite a lot of them and i found most of them to be amusing and i I especially want to highlight anna chlumsky who i thought was was just as great as she was in in the loop yeah actually that's one of the 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 problems i had with this pilot um i know a lot of a lot of critics it seems like a critics either love it or they're absolutely meh on the show and uh i'm sort of in between but actually one of the problems i have with it is that in watching the pilot i just it made me want to stop watching the pilot and put in 
uh, in the loop and watch that instead. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with because Anna Tomsky's in both and uh, somewhat similar characters in in both, and so particularly her character made me want to to you know check in with with the watch the film instead. Uh, I, I feel like the it's just too similar in tone. It feels it feels like the exact same show, but not quite as funny as as the the film or in, or the thick of it, the series. So I'm hoping that it's just going to improve and be more consistently funny. Yeah, I really love all the cast. Uh, Julie Dreyfus is fabulous, and I I think she can do a lot with this role. Tony Hale, Matt Walsh, they're great. I've mm-hmm. enjoyed. It's nice to see Reed Scott in something other than My Boys. Um, I liked him in My Boys, but I think he has potential to be a lot of fun here. Um, but yeah, it just I wasn't laughing enough. I was mm-hmm. hardly laughing at all, actually. And I don't know how much of that is maybe it's I have a, des- a desire or a wish that my political uh, the, the, the political uh, higher ups in the U.S. are more competent than this. Maybe yeah, that's it. You but... know, you know, you can't go to Ianucci for that, though. Well, yeah, I don't, and I don't know if it's just that. Or I, I mean, I was listening to some some other and reading some of the reviews of of the of the show, and critics were saying that the characters seemed really intelligent and and competent, and I didn't get that at all. I felt like almost all of them were utterly useless at most of their jobs. What did I mean? What did you think? Well, I mean, we kind of get the impression that the that the Veep doesn't really have much of a job, which is, frankly, it seems. I mean, I'm okay. I'm not. No, no, no. It's, asterisk it's... for the future. You know, I'm I'm not an American, but it seems to me that the whole point of of Veep is that her her whole position is kind of inert, mm-hmm. and she's sort of always straining for for seriousness and and relevance, and it's just never happening. Well, if you ask most people, what does the vice president do? most don't know <laughs> like or they say they support the president they they run the the senate and, and other than that i don't know um so so i think there's a lot of potential there it's just i i kept wanting to see how these people why these people have these jobs and i wasn't really seeing that that that, that doesn't bother me as much as i'm just hoping that going forward we can get yeah, I th- I think what we're both looking for is specificity, mm-hmm. in 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 some way, and I th- I think we're going to get more of that going forward. I mean, Ianucci's a smart guy, and th- that sounds very condescending, but <laughs> I I'm I'm definitely I'm very intrigued to chart where it's going, and I'm I'm hoping that it can it'll only improve with time. And hey, a slightly less funny the thick of it is still close now, to the thick of it, so it's good. It's I'd good still, me. yeah, but I can just watch the thick of it. If I, if that's the show that this is going to be a less funny, the thick of it, I can just watch the thick of it, and that's good with me. So I'm hoping it may it differentiates that differentiates itself uh, a bit. I mean, it's only a pilot, and yes, you know, as long as it gets funnier, I will be happy. I like this cast. I like this creator. There's potential. We'll see where it goes. All right. Next, we have the Amazing Race, and uh, the uh, this was a week for Bollywood numbers. It seems. Yeah, we're gonna get to that later. <laughs> I know some people that watch the Amazing Race feel like this was too coincidental that Mark and Bopper benefited from a non-elimination round uh, twice. Do you think that it's fixed, or do you think it's coincidence? I- 
I don't think it's important, actually, I, in a strange way. I think the problem is not, is it fixed or isn't it? I'm sure aspects of the show are fixed. I'm sure aspects of every single one of these things is fixed. I think the difficulty for me was the was the way the episode handled it. It was just so overwrought. It was just, the, you know, with the music and with featuring Mark, I would say roughly 10,000 times saying, I got to do this for my kids. I got to do this for my kids. And... And then, you know, obviously the reveal at the end, it was just a little too much. We already like Mark and Bopper. We don't need, you know, constant pageantry informing us why we should like them and why they're good contenders. Well, and it's something that I think is true. I don't think anything that Mark or Bopper had to say was phony or fake or that wasn't something that they were absolutely feeling in the moment. I mean, these are... you get. These are people who are exhausted, who are already running on fumes and adrenaline. And then you add in extra stress. You add in being, you know, standing in a hundred degree full direct sunlight in double layers of clothing, trying to learn a dance. And you're going to get some extra exhaustion and extra heightened emotions. That's just going to happen. But then that's when it comes down to the editors to create and craft the story the, the, the way that they're going to in this episode. So while I don't have any issue with Mark and Bopper feeling like they're exploiting their situation or their kids to get sympathies the way that I might with, for example, Brendan and Rachel, um, I, I do think that it was rather sloppily handled by the editors this week. I wouldn't say sloppy, just exploitative. Okay. Like, like they were, they were just going like all. They were, they were going full tilt with it. Another sort of moment that was excessive was Art and JJ and Rachel and Dave coming, like sort of arriving in the same, yeah, um, in the same office. And just the music and editing was so over the top for such a minor feud that isn't important. Yeah, well, they're trying so hard to make us care about them, which leads me to believe that the, they're going to be both teams are going to be in the finale. And so they're trying to build up towards that, especially should Mark and Bopper get eliminated, which I'm I'm pulling for them. I, I you know, I would love for them to win. But if they get eliminated, there's going to be nobody left in this race that we actually like. Yeah. I mean, Rachel and Dave actually aren't horrible. They're just sort of snippy. Yeah, they're just, oh my God, they're not fun to watch. And I... No, not really. Th- th- it shows you how little the editors have to work with in this season that they are showing all of that because it would be easy for to make us like Rachel and Dave to just not show the parts where they're arguing to show the parts where they're being supportive of each other when they're when they're deciding what their storylines are going to be that wouldn't be hard yeah although they're still more interesting to watch than Vanessa and Ralph I think <laughs> who are just I don't know dull, dull as cardboard at this point we'll see I mean granted some of this you can't you can only guess you know, so much from the casting, who's going to make it further into the, uh, into the race. But I, I guess I hope for the next season that they are able to find people who are just a, a few more teams who you actually like than just right now. I feel like there's just one with an option yeah. on Dave and Rachel as the most likable of the other teams that are left. But I mean, that's just kind of sad if that's the best you can do. Yeah. 
the the pool is actually it was kind of hilarious this week because um, Dan got eight points and the rest of us got nothing. <laughs> so how did he get eight points? He put six on Mark and Bopper, and he uh, got one of the bonus questions right. So now it's neck and neck. Adam has fifty. Dan has forty nine. Then there's you and and Mary Jo have twenty seven or twenty nine, and then I have twenty seven. And Mario's in in last place at the moment. But so much of this is gonna you know swing on the final. The final uh, winner because what Mary Jo has thirty points on Mark and Bopper or something like that. I've got thirty points or no, I've got twenty points on Art and JJ. You have a bunch of points on what Mark and Bopper? I think so. So depending on who wins the final thing, it, it could come down to that. It could. But we'll see. We'll see. Um, let's go on to next. We have the the Good Wife penalty box and uh, even more expansion of the guest cast. Uh, what did you think? Right, yeah, Presbo is here. Um, you know, despite the presence of Presbo and David Paymer, uh, I thought this was kind of an average episode. Stephen Root. Stephen Root, yes, and I. Stephen Root was actually one of the highlights of the episode because we, we we're once again sort of getting a peek into a different sort of realm of law. I mean, the sort of judicial hearing where David pa- David Paymer is effectively on trial, and Stephen Root has this more informal style that's quite refreshing and and you basically just ask okay what do you want what do you want let's get through it mm-hmm. that was interesting i i sort of you know a nice way to cut through the bullshit other than that i mean it was i thought it was, I, i'm having a hard time remembering things about the episode and i only watched it about eight hours ago so well, that's not never a good sign well we got uh one of the more notable things with the episode is we got a vulnerable and scared kalinda and i thought that was very interesting i like you know what they do is so who who is is somebody who can be threatening to Kalinda? I know. How about the largest meth dealer in the uh, in in the state? And I I thought that worked. I don't know the way it was it was dispatched over the episode, like with with Kalinda being really scared at first, and then Dana not really helping, and then they just sort of they just sort of came up with a solution on their own, and that kind of was it. I I don't think that's not. They still have a ways to go with that. I don't think that storyline's going anywhere. I don't know. We'll we'll see. Um, then of course there's Carrie. I, yeah, well, I mean we've always known Carrie was going to come back, so I guess that happened. I mean I did like the scene with him and um, with him and Peter where he sort of chats only semi chastises him. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was nice. I don't really care about um, Will's new love interest. I yeah I don't know. I mean she's fine, but. She's not really, you know, comp- compelling in any way to me. Yeah, I think, yeah, I definitely like this episode more than you did. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, having Stephen Root on. Seriously, some, when is somebody going to give him a show? Cause, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, it really would. Um, so I, I, I definitely like this episode a lot more than you did. I really enjoyed David Paymer. It was nice to have Presbo back on TV. Um, I feel terrible. I can't remember the actor's name. Um but I, I really enjoyed that whole process and the the subplot with Eli and the third partner. I mean, come on. Eh, I thought that was a little on the cartoonish side. Like it was funny the first time, and then they just kept doing it over and over. Like, come on. Guys, well, I keep can... waiting to find out that this this third partner is just screwing with everybody and is actually really on top of stuff. I, I yeah, know. No. I feel like that's got to happen at some point, but maybe not. I don't think so. But okay, well, let's move on to Game of Thrones: Garden of Bones. Now, the the Sunset Game of Thrones podcast is going to be late this week uh, due to some scheduling issues. Uh, 
but but will be coming out later in the week. And we don't think you're going to be able to be on it because of your travel schedule. So I'm going to hold off on my thoughts other than I liked it. Huge surprise. What did you think of Game of Thrones? It was uh, it was definitely good. This week they definitely go full. I mean, I know the show is going to get really, really dark and people are going to die and stuff. Or at least that's what proponents of the book tell me. But, I mean, this week we had ritual torture. Oh, sorry, not ritual torture. Just regular torture and heads on pikes. And we also get the appearance of Melisandre's slithery, amorphous, black, viscous, shadow creature hell-being thing, <laughs> as I call it. Or, what is that for short again? <laughs> uh, that's uh, a savshith. <laughs> yeah, I need to come up with a better acronym, but... That's what I'm calling it, which maybe it has a real name in the books. I don't know. But that's definitely an intriguing way forward. I'll be interested to see what it can do. Mm-hmm. But anyway, we'll, you'll, you'll talk about that plenty. Yeah, we'll, we'll have plenty to talk about on, on the podcast, I'm sure. Uh, so let's see. That was all right. What about uh, you, anything you want to say about Tyrion or Sansa, that, that storyline? or? Um, Joffrey is creepy, and I get the feeling I'm, – I'm getting – I get the feeling he – doesn't die or at least not soon that's just the feeling i get and so i'm it's gonna be hard to keep watching him because he's just such a little prick well well performed though well played yeah you know you know he's he's very very yes very well handled but i echo bronze sentiment in this episode <laughs> is all i have to say <laughs> good, good stuff so that uh more talk on game of thrones oh, well your review i assume is up Yes, it is. So people can read about uh, more of your thoughts there, and we'll have the Game of Thrones podcast up later in the week. So that will be coming up in the Televerse feed or available at the website if you want to listen to that. Um, Next, let's move to Monday and The Voice. I will be relatively brief on this. Um, This week was um, we found out who was left um, for – they were down to two for Team Blake and Christina, and then we're down to three right now for – Adam and CeeLo, and they're going to have their final elimination tomorrow, and then it'll just be quarterfinal or semifinals and finals. Um, right now, I would say CeeLo, Team CeeLo is looking pretty, pretty damn good. Um, most of the, the 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 biggest thing I I've had in this last uh, episode of The Voice is, man, Tony Luca is still in this thing, and I don't understand why. Uh, I don't think he's Compared to the other singers out there, I don't think he's that that great. I don't think he's that different from from just a more generic pop kind of sound. So I don't think he deserves to necessarily be there when, um, or at least I, I don't think that he deserves to win. I don't think he's going. I don't think he should. Whether or not he gets a lot of votes from singing, uh, "Oops, I Did It Again," uh, will remain to be seen. But I don't know. the The voters seem to really like him, and if either of uh, the women on Adam's team get eliminated in favor of him, that's going to be a shame because they're both far more interesting singers than he is. But that's you know that's part of it, why it's part of the vote is America's uh, you know downloads and everything, and part of it is the 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 coach. So we'll see what happens with the elimination. Um, I think a lot of the, the the performances have really gone up since the start of the live rounds. Um, a lot of a lot a lot of really strong performances in the last last uh, week. So I look forward to getting to the finals and uh, and seeing who's going to win this thing. But I I really feel like it's got to come down to uh, probably Team CeeLo 
as as the winning team. So are you going to check back in uh, for the finals or anything, or are you just done? I'm pretty disengaged, and I also work on Mondays, so it's looking unlikely. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, let, let's uh... – all right, we, I'll check back in, but I imagine I'll be keeping these uh, voice reactions briefer and briefer as we go forward. Um, so, But let's move on to Smash and publicity. <laughs> uh, Smash, you're not a good television show. Can no. you just say that off the bat? And this was this was probably their second or third worst episode. Yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah. I mean, if, we, if we'd gotten a couple more scenes with Leo, that would probably have put it under... Or a couple more scenes with Alice, that probably would have done the trick. But I think the main thing is there wasn't anything good this week. Like, not, or like actively good. There were some things that were passable. Mm-hmm. Some things that were okay. But there was, there was nothing like, I don't know, like, like the scene between uh, Tom and Derek two mm-hmm. weeks ago that was actually insightful. There was nothing like that. Yeah. And so, and there's something really uncomfortable about the Bollywood number. Yeah. First of all, like, it's, it was so elaborate, but also so pointless. It Absolutely. It anything to the episode. The fact that this is the only time Dev's had a song, and it's a Bollywood number because he's Indian. Not because he's expressed any interest in Bollywood or mm-hmm. even the country of India. Yeah. Just because, you know, he's Indian. And that was icky. Yeah. Um, yeah, lots lots of bad this week. Yeah, I, I liked the last song a lot more than you did. Um it was used Ugh. in a incredibly schlocky montage that was almost painfully uh, uh, soppy and melodramatic. But the song itself, I enjoyed. I enjoyed the performance of it um, by by Ivy. But yeah, you're right. It's just so much of this episode. When when we were we were watching it at the same time, we were synced up, so we could talk about it on, on Skype, and. Probably one of my favorite things about the episode was when I got to fast forward through the commercials. That's sad. That shouldn't be what I'm looking forward to. Yay, I get to skip past commercials and Oh, I thought be you were done. fast forwarding I thought you were fast forwarding through Karen singing Snow Patrol, which I wouldn't n- if I could. N- no, because that <laughs> I'm I can't then I can't legitimately have an opinion on it. That was another uh, I mean, I thought this the song is fine or whatever, but Again, it was another example of now we're going to stop all the action to have a pointless opportunity for you to go download and buy a song from the show uh, after the, after it finishes airing. There was no point to that. I, I think the biggest problem I have with it is that we all know that Uma Thurman is not going to be on the show next year. So we all know that she Rebecca is not going to end up being the lead. And so this whole digression with her feels like a complete waste of time. Yeah. Absolutely, and, th- and it just leads to stupid little moments like that—that that celebrity montage when you know mm-hmm. when Karen's out partying with with Rebecca, which is just—I mean, it's short, but it's annoying. And I don't know. Well, and Everything all with the smoothies just... and where they're taking that arc in the next week or two, which unfortunately yeah. I know from reading the tidbits that the the network puts out, like the one sentence descriptions. I don't know. Yeah. Kate, Kate, should we just stop? Should we just stop doing this to ourselves? I We can. Nobody's <laughs> making us. I don't know. We'll have to uh, have some we'll examination. Ear, of, we'll have to look deep into our souls and see if we can subject ourselves to another. I'm, I'm still waiting week. for the episode where where it's it's 
Transcendently terrible? Transcendently terrible. This week was a little racist, you know? Yeah. A little, a little horrible. I, I feel like it's going to just black up and just, it's going to, it's going to totally shit the bed and I'm just waiting for that to happen. Yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll see, but let's, uh, let's, let's stop there and take a break <laughs> and come back and talk about a good show. So we're going to, yes. <laughs> we're going to listen to some music and come back with our spotlight on Mad Men. That was I Just Wasn't Made for These Times by the Beach Boys. And this was featured in this episode of this week's episode that is of Mad Men Faraway Places. And when we when this was airing, I had work on, on Sunday night. So by the time I got home, it was already like about half done. And the first thing uh, when we were both on Skype, the first thing you said was don't check Twitter until you watch Mad Men. <laughs> now, this is. I would imagine this would be divisive, but I'm only seeing love for this episode of Mad Men. What, what did you think? Well, the reason I told you not to go on Twitter was I really, it, it was, I was watching it live. It was halfway through the episode and I didn't want you to find out about Roger being, and I hadn't even done it yet, but I was just like, oh my God, Roger's going to take LSD. It's, it's very important that you don't hear about this before you watch it. <laughs> Fair because enough. clearly this is going to be a landmark moment. Um, I don't know. I I absolutely love this episode. I actually think it was way more daring, embracing, and entertaining than any movie I've seen at Tribeca so far. Sorry, Tribeca, but it's true. Get better. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, I I I I mean, I think the 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 issue that divides us is sort of the way the episode is structured. I mean, we get essentially. I was actually expecting four segments because we sort of get fifteen minutes with Peggy. And then we get 15 minutes with Roger. And then I was sort of expecting two more chunks like that. But instead, the last basically half of the episode is devoted to Don and Megan. And I didn't find any segment markedly less engaging than the other. I mean, that Don and Megan kind of started that way for me. But I was I was I ended up being really invested in in sort of their in their fight and in this strange setting of the. Howard Johnson's and its perfumey sherbet. There was so much good. I mean, everything with with Peggy I thought was great, and I, the return of Peggy getting high is always a good thing, if you ask me. And sort of trying to be again, sort of trying to fold into the boys' club in some senses, and it's sort of not happening. And I also love the way they executed Roger's trip, just with a lot of little practical effects that were nicely trippy, but not like you know spiral on the screen. Oh my god, I'm totally tripping balls, man. Like just little <laughs> things that I thought were great. I don't know, but but you you were a little bit more mixed. Yeah, I'm not as positive on this episode as everybody else is. Um and the the more distance I get from it, the more I like it. But for for me, while I thought each of the chunks was incredibly well executed and very interesting, um I I think my favorite was the Roger segment, and I know we're going to have more to talk about about that. Mm -hmm. We have a different interpretation of it um, in a little bit, but for I'm not sure that it really worked as a whole. And 
and so I I see what they're doing where you're you're following these three you know sets of characters over a set period of time seeing their experiences over the course of that day but I guess I was looking for I mean maybe maybe there's more of a overarching connecting theme between the three that I am missing I know that you could say that they they're going on trips but except Peggy isn't really um well she gets high and she and she also ventures out into the world of you know sexual misadventure yeah, but as compared to an LSD trip and a literal driving in a car trip, you oh. know, I don't know. I don't, know. I, I don't really see the overarching connecting theme other than these are all characters that are on the show that you care about. So we're going to have very close uh, looks at each of them. Now, I thought that they were all very, very well. I just it felt very piecemeal to me. So maybe that's something. And as I get further away from it, like I said, that's bothering yeah. me less. My immediate reaction was was far more mixed. Um, yeah. I I'm... mean, I, I think what's what's great to me about the episode really is, I don't know if you remember, but, I mean, The Suitcase is an amazing episode, but the episode that aired the following week was, I, I thought, sort of an experiment like this episode, but also kind of a disaster. I mean, because we had Don narrating, and we had, you know, a very obvious music cue for once, and it just seemed like... It, we were watching a different show in a bad way, like one of the Pan Am writers had taken over or something. And this week, we, we kind of get, again, sort of a, a formal experiment in, in a similar kind of way, but I thought it was much more successful. And I, I, I don't think I really needed more of an overarching theme or of a connective moment than we get in that last scene of, of Dawn in the office, Roger saying it's going to be a beautiful day, and the characters just walking by. That was good enough for me. But let's talk about some of the, the, the specifics, I guess. Let's, let's go with the Peggy story, of Peggy arc or, or segment, I guess, first. Um, it was so satisfying to see her just confront the Heinz guy, who was obviously so full of it. She was so clearly immediately on the money uh, mm -hmm. in, in, in her critique of him and her, her read of the situation that was really satisfying to to watch um and then the whole i was in, in watching her interaction with ginsburg i was waiting for the show to just go full-on sci-fi the way that that scene was yeah. planned I played i was yeah. like they could do that this is the kind of show where they could actually do that <laughs> i don't know what did yeah. you think uh, well, Ginsburg's monologue was great, and I, I like the blocking of it with his reflection in the window and yeah. her sort of facing opposite directions. That was interesting. Um, the thing with with her and the Heinz guy was it was, I mean, she's obviously her own person, but it was clearly you know Peggy was taking trying to take control of the situation in, in a way modeled on on Don. Don and the way he would handle you know a, a pitch like that or sort of you know turn a client around. But the thing is, no one's prepared to hear that from Peggy. Yeah. And probably not even the people she any works woman, with. Any woman, really. No yeah. one's prepared to yeah. hear that from but, any woman. Yeah, she's the only one in that position, but yeah, they're not prepared to hear it from a woman and definitely not from, from Peggy. And it's, so it's 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 interesting to see her still coming up on these on these walls of, you know, ways she can and can't behave. Which I think is it directly ties into her sort of acting out in the movie theater and well, and it some also, other stuff that she does this week. It also ties in, I would say, with her conversation with Dawn at her apartment, too, and her growing frustration with the limits she feels um, at the Secretary office. Secretary Dawn. Secretary, yeah, Dawn, not Don. Um, oh, I sorry. see what you did there. Yeah. Um, 
and her, the limitations she's feeling and the, the gender expectations she's feeling as well at the office. So I thought that was a nice continuing thread. Uh, it, I feel like the, the part of the, the thing with her this week was the, the, the show um, playing with the, the fact that the rest of us kind of, oh, she's still going out with Abe? Yeah, and he's kind of useless. I mean, he's not horrible, but he's just kind of useless. I mean, I, I think I, I think after Girls this week, all other mediocre boyfriends seem okay. <laughs> uh, so I guess we can credit Lena Dunham for that. Um, and as for the Roger segment, like I said, I, I thought the trip was great. And But I think the, the difference of interpretation that we have has to do with him and Jane and sort of their apparent imminent divorce. And mm-hmm. boy, is this season going on at a, at a click where we've already got seemingly two divorces. The way that after the trip, you know, Jane is still sort of recovering and then Roger comes in and he's he just seems so serene and he's just like, yeah, I mean, I it seems to me like he's been very unhappy in the marriage for a long time, maybe even longer than Jane. And he found an out in sort of their in their conversation. And it may have been honest. It may have been, you know, truthful and and touching and all this stuff. But ultimately, it's it's just a way for him to leave. And I, I, I thought it was a very roger thing to do to sort of exploit a situation like that i mean i i I didn't see him as the sort of guy who after you know 50 years of substance abuse is going to be totally altered by an lsd trip well yeah i don't think that's the thing that's the difference in our interpretation i don't find it exploitative at all i think i don't mean exploitative i don't well i don't think he's exploiting the situation i don't i think I, i i i really loved particularly that scene with with uh, the two of them uh, on the floor of their apartment i think it was their apartment at that point right or yeah, or, yeah. I, I thought it was so well executed and written and performed and all of that i thought it was very well done and then the the scene in the morning i just i i i think it was just they, they were the two of them at peace with the realization they've both been unhappy for a very long time. Their marriage has been practically over for a very long time. And this is them, the, the, their shared experience, I guess, on their trip um, the, with the LSD and everything kind of took down the walls of pretense or they both admitted they weren't happy. They both admitted that they were just kind of waiting for it to fall apart. So instead of continuing to make each other unhappy, uh, Roger just is doesn't put those walls back up the way that Jane does and you know and and I so I don't think he's exploiting the situation at all I think that he's just being honest and continuing that 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 honest conversation that they had had the night before and I, I and actually I see a lot more far more pretense with Jane she starts immediately so gets all emotional and you're leaving me and yeah, yeah, yeah and that's clearly false and fake and uh her trying to get sympathy and add drama and as soon as he says this is what you said last night she knows that he he's not going to to buy her act her indignation and yeah, and and so and she her look around, you know, the the apartment. It's it doesn't seem like she's going to miss him. She's going to miss this kind of lifestyle that she's gotten used mm-hmm. to. And so for me, I that I I thought it worked really well and was in no way um, a, a a sneaky or 
or or dishonest or in any like a manipulative move I, by Roger. I don't th- I I don't think it was dishonest. I just think that Roger was very happy to find a way out. See, I don't And it just happened to feature some, you know, some honesty. Well, yeah, I don't It's a beautiful day, you. he says. Well, yeah, it's because he's at peace. And he should be. Because he's no longer married to Jane as he hasn't wanted to be for a while. Yeah, but also because he knows that it's not that he's leaving her it's that they but it's not that he because i'm sure he wasn't feeling great about the fact that he had been cheating on her and all of his other things i mean i think even roger has some guilt (laughs) but uh but it's because it's not it's because he knows that they're in the same place about it that yeah all right that's fair uh, but i i see what you're saying i just yeah different interpretation we should also talk about the dawn segment yes uh we get of course another sort of I actually wasn't sure if it was a dream or a flashback sequence uh, with, with them in, in happier times. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we're sort of replaying a beat we got a few episodes ago in their tussle in the apartment, but it seems even more desperate now and even more like a pitched battle. And I was actually worried for Megan's health and well-being as, as he was chasing her around the apartment. I really thought maybe he was going to beat the shit out of her. Yeah, it, and the fact that you can watch that and not know... I think is a testament to the writing yeah. and the acting and the, the the nuance of the character. Of Probably just, his fever dream from a couple episodes ago helped. Helps, yeah. Well, and I think that Don didn't know what he was going to do either. Yeah, yeah. I think they played that loss of control really convincingly. Absolutely. Well, and that's that's also it's an unfortunately kind of true thing. That's how uh, crimes of passion happen. That's like. That's, you know, man, that's manslaughter or whatever it is. Temporary insanity. That's where that plea comes from. Things like this. Yeah. Well, and also there's just something about being, being in love with someone. And when it's just, when it's not working and just, especially if you're living together, just the way that can drive you up the wall is something that I can definitely relate to. And in that moment, I actually, in a, in a weird way, even as Don was chasing her around, seemingly about to, you know, cut her into pieces i actually felt for him quite a bit <laughs> that's lovely nice to know <laughs> yes um and yeah i i mean th- I, there were some weird aspects i mean the whole I, I don't know if they meant to make the the driving scenes quite as uh clearly artificial as they were but it was a bit distracting Hmm. well i think that that works i think it's i like to think that they could do that better if they wanted to um so it yeah. seemed like a we, choice, we, but I don't know. We do actually have a, a couple shots of of him driving around in the parking lot when when that's not when they're not doing that, and yeah. maybe it was the discrepancy that was that was distracting. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that they haven't led up to this, really. I mean, we see the 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 fight that they have in the premiere, but that seems far more specific as to the his birthday and his uh and, and the party and and not part of a larger problem or a larger communication issue of Don wanting her to be someone that she's not and uh and and Megan assert being you know asserting her independence and not allowing him to treat her that way um and and so you we're supposed to infer from this that things like this have been happening through the course yeah. of their marriage and so I think it's an interesting choice to just throw us in with that and not to have shown yeah. it before. And especially just the way we've seen them walk into the office happy 
in almost every episode, right? So how many times has that been right after a knockout drag out fight? Yeah, exactly. I I will be surprised if she doesn't leave him before the season is out. Well, and I think if... it's it's so interesting in that I could see the two of them working so well together, but it requires Don Don to change. And I don't know if he will. Yeah. I mean, so these things require compromise from both parties to some degree, but yeah, I think the onus is mostly on Don because you know, he he's older, he's more set in his ways and those ways aren't necessarily healthy or or good for for cohabitation, let's say. Well, and if you're going to look at the list, I've granted she does throw the his past at him in his face a little bit in this episode, but which was mean. But for the most part, between the two of them, who's been the the more understanding and and forgiving and yeah, you know, totally. Who who went into the marriage more knowing what she was getting into seems to be Megan, whereas yeah. Don just saw this image of somebody who would be great. I mean, Megan doesn't want to settle down in the suburbs and have kids, based yeah, on what exactly. we've seen, and that's what Don is just sort of assuming is going to happen at some point. So yeah, we'll see what that's happens. That's why they they definitely seem doomed without some serious shifts yeah which is too bad it, yeah, i think she would be so good for him but you know it requires him to want that yes well good good for us isn't necessarily something that we're all good at yeah i suppose um any final thoughts on on this episode no i th I, th I thought it was relentlessly entertaining and trippy and fantastic mm -hmm. and we had no joan very little pete a little bit of bert at the end which i liked i thought that was good oh, yeah I'm, a little bert goes a long way for sure and it's nice that they're making him relevant and uh and uh r reminding us that despite how the rest of the office has been treating him all season that he actually d is still there and does still care and yeah, totally. Absolutely. So let's uh, do a few show, show notes. Of course, the intro and outro music is Sweet Petite by The Bicycles. You can find us at soundoutside.org. We'll have a post up there. You can leave comments. Um, I think our, our question this week should be, we want to know shows that we should cover this summer. Because in the next like month, month and a half, most of the shows that we are talking about right now are going to be done with their seasons. Um, do you have particular shows you're looking forward to in, in say, June? Uh, well, Louie, obviously. I believe that's is... July. I think it's June. End of but June? I could be wrong. Okay. Maybe. But it's coming soon. I'm looking forward to True Blood, but that's not again, not going to be till July. So there's a bit of a, a gap between the end of May and in the end of May, beginning of June, where we're going to be really low on shows. So if you have suggestions for us, please let us know. Um, you can also... Uh, stream the show there we are also we'll also be up at current uh where you can stream the show if you would like uh to find us in itunes we have an m4a and an mp3 feed there we would love to get some um, ratings or reviews it really would help us out and so if you uh want to leave us a review take a few seconds it really just type in televerse click number of stars you feel is appropriate it doesn't take very long um but uh you can do that in itunes and then uh, next week, uh, let's see. What do we? Any anything? Uh, any new premieres next week? Uh, not as not as far as I know. We have I the mean, live very... episode for Thirty yes, Rock. Yes, there's the live Thirty Rock. There's the debate on Parks next next week. There's a lot to be excited for. Good Wife finale. Oh yes, is that next week? That's next week. 
Damn. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll uh, see if that makes its way to the spotlight ne- next week, or if uh, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a pitched battle for sure. Definitely, definitely. So we'll we'll uh, take a break right now and come back and talk with Ricky D about my so-called life. So I started hanging out with Rayanne Graff just for fun, just because it seemed like if I didn't, I would die or something. Things were getting to me, just how people are. How they always expect you to be a certain way, even your best friend. So then she admits that she only joined here with Dean and Scott, and she's like so low. I mean, it's just, I know, if she doesn't want to be in your book, then she should be Like with boys, how they have it so easy. How you have to pretend you don't notice them. Noticing you. School is a battlefield for your heart. So when Rand Graff told me my hair was holding me back, I had to listen. Because she wasn't just talking about my hair, she was talking about my life. with the Televerse. This is Kate Kulzig, joined as ever by Mr. Simon Howell. And this week on the DVD shelf, we are happy to welcome for the first time to the shelf, at least, Ricky D to talk my so-called life. Ricky, we finally got you on. Hey, but you've had me on before. I think we talked about Breaking Bad once. Yeah, but see, that's the different deal that was, you know, wrapping up the season. This is, you could, finally, you got to pick a show. So why did you pick my so-called life? Well, uh, there's a lot of reasons why. It's one of my favorite shows of all time. It's probably one of the greatest one-season hit wonders. I think it also has to do with the fact that uh, a few of the episodes were actually directed by some of the directors who went on to helm some of the best Breaking Bad episodes, which a lot of people don't realize. But I don't know. I just really, really love this show. I uh, I watched it while I was in high school, and I think it's probably the most realistic teen drama that I can recall. And I was really able to relate to a lot of characters, especially someone like Ricky, Enrique, uh, for example, for starters. But, you know, this is uh, one hell of a show, and I, I recently bought the box set for my teenage niece my niece is like 16 going on 17 in a few weeks and i wasn't sure if i should buy her the box set i wasn't sure how she would react to it if if it would stand the test of time and um she started watching it on christmas eve well technically christmas day because we open up our gifts at midnight and she was up till five in the morning watching the show she was hooked she watched a whole entire season in like a few days always a good sign mm-hmm. <laughs> at least for me it's it's such a great gift because i remember when you were you know de- deciding whether you should, it would be a good thing to get her and i i feel like this is a show that every teenage girl should watch or almost all teenage girls should should watch because i do think there's so much of it that is so true 
to the to the teen girl experience and i'm sure to many uh to many high school guys as well but there's definitely just some utter and complete truth to this series that i think makes it a must see series yeah you know i i think one of the biggest shames of it only lasting one season actually is I think that had the show continued on to two, three, four, five, maybe even six seasons, it wouldn't have been so um, targeted towards the teenage girls. I think they would have eventually drifted off and focused more heavily on some of the characters like Brian Krakow and Jordan Candelano, et cetera, et cetera, and even Enrique. And it could have been really like a show equally targeted and geared towards teen males and teen females but it never had the chance there's one specific episode life of brian and that was one of my favorite episodes of the entire season uh for various reasons but what was so great about that specific episode is it was the first and only time in which the entire episode was narrated by someone outside of angela who was played by claire danes and in this case it was narrated by brian and I think it was sort of somewhat the episode that kind of changed the game for my so-called life. It allowed us to go within the walls of Brian Krakow's mind. And, you know, he's like over analytical, he's self-hating, he's got like this neurotic mind. And here we got the story from his point of view instead of Angela's. And it was great to see that the showrunners and writers um, were confident enough to tell it from his point of view. And, um, I honestly think that it was, you know, one of the better episodes. There's so many great things about that one specific episode. Like it actually has my favorite piece of dialogue from the whole entire series. And it's when he uh, meets up with a girl inside the classroom and clearly she has the hots for him. And he has this, this like narration, this voiceover. And he says, finally, an erection from an actual physical contact. And I could not stop laughing like years later, like decades later. And I'm still laughing at that line. And Brian is like actually one of the funniest characters, uh, mostly because of his sarcasm. But just hearing his inner uh, his inner thoughts makes him even more funny and makes the show even more comedic. So, um, I mean, there's so many things I want to talk about. But, um, you know, for me, this show is just amazing. And it's because of the characters. This show somehow found the time to focus on every single one of these people equally. Like you even get to know the parents, the best friends. You really get to understand who each and every single one of these people are. Yeah, it definitely has very well-defined characters. And I look forward to a little later on getting into this a bit with you because I'm just going to go on the record. While I love the series, I do not get the Jordan Catalano thing at all. I mean, as far as I know, there are lots of people who watch this show who just swoon over Jared Leto, the, you know, much in the way that Angela does. And I don't get the Brian Krakow thing either. Um, but before we get into that, uh, let's, Simon, let's throw it to you. Now, I, as I recall, well, you're, I know you're not as big a fan of this series as Ricky and I are, um, but you'd seen some of it before, but not others. I, I feel like I'd seen an episode or two sort of separated from the whole a long time ago. I, I do like the show a lot. Um, I feel kind of similarly to it as I do with Freaks and Geeks in the sense that there's stuff about it that I find really engaging and some stuff not so much. And I think it has as much to do 
with my own hangups about high school TV as it does about the quality of the show itself. And that's as much true here as it was with Freaks and Geeks. I think when you say, Kate, that you don't get the whole Jordan Catalano thing, I think uh, in terms of people swooning, I think if anyone's watching this show and swooning over Jordan Catalano, they're not watching it correctly. And I, I, I don't, I'm not saying that to be a dick. I'm saying that because it, it's sort of her swooning over that character hints at probably my favorite thing about the whole show, which is that the inner lives of the teenagers are really realistic in the sense that they're not very smart for the most part. Yeah. And, and that's great. It's and, and I think especially what's great is they're not afraid to make Angela seem dumb and like quite often. And I think it's, that's the sort of thing that most shows shy away from, you know, having a, a it's certainly not with male characters, but ha- having a female character who's so flawed and I wouldn't say she's not very often like outwardly cruel, but she's very, very often short-sighted and romantic and foolish and and openly so. It's not just her though. That's a, that's a great thing about the show. Everybody in the show is flawed. You want to? No, no, yeah, yeah. I, I I agree. You want to talk about flawed? Her mom. Oh my god, her mom drives me crazy. I hate her mom. And her mom is one of the most flawed characters in this show. But, you know, you mentioned uh, a a TV show like Freaks and Geeks. I think there's not too many teen dramas that attempt to capture what it's really like being a teenager. There's a few good ones, and I do like Freaks and Geeks. And I actually wanted to talk about the Wonder Years on the Televerse, but maybe we'll get to that in the future because I think that's one of the greatest shows ever made. But the difference difference between the Wonder Years and Freaks and Geeks is they all worked their charm – based heavily on nostalgia first and foremost. And My So-Called Life was a show made in the late 90s about teenagers in the late 90s. They did not have that advantage. And then you get, you know, teen shows like DOC, uh, 90210, and those shows are, they attract an audience based on exaggerated elements like excessive wealth. Like, you know what I mean? Maybe that's how those kids are like in wealthy neighborhoods in California. I don't know. But that's the main difference between my, my so-called life and, like, every single other show, except for maybe the Grassy Junior I was going to say, it, uh, the, the show that I most that I thought of the most often while watching this was Degrassi. Yeah, but I don't think the Grassy Junior High is in the same league as my so-called life. Like, I grew up watching the Grassy, but that show is not very good. It doesn't stand the test of time. The writing wasn't very good. It didn't have the production values of my so-called life. It didn't have the cast. I mean... Claire Danes is amazing as Angela, and anyone that watches Homeland can agree, I think, that that's probably what Angela became. She became the character in Homeland in the future because her character is so similar. <laughs> it's like every time I watch Homeland, I just can't help but see Angela Chase. Wow. Yeah, she's, de- she's definitely kind of like Angela Chase on Antipsychotics. Yes. I don't see that even a little bit, but no. no. Oh, I do. Oh given, my god. Given over 20 years of like de-evolution, de- I think it could work. Are you Holland, what, she's not a romantic character. She doesn't that's a No, oh, such no a it's character. what it's what she would have become. She would have gone through high school. She would have never had a decent shot with Jordan Canalano. She would have never ended up dating the guy that she should have dated, Brian. She would have ended up being bitter, crazy, neurotic. <laughs> on meds at one point in her life she would flip out and realize she's exactly like her crazy selfish you know okay yeah, annoying, I just, i'm gonna pause um... you there what's your problem with patty because i don't oh 
Patty's fine. Yes, she's somewhat overbearing. Yes, she's somewhat oblivious, but she's a realistic depiction of a mom. I think she's fine. I think she's doing her best, and it's not that bad. I, um, first of all, I think she's really selfish. Um, I think she clearly is not happy with herself and her life at the moment. Uh, she's very overprotective and jealous and insecure, especially with her husband, Graham. She's, wait, all, wait, she's, wait. she's very... insecure about her husband who's cheating on her. Uh, no, her husband was never actually cheating on her, but I mean, look, she's also extremely judgmental. Like, like again, um, one of my favorite episodes weekends, it's when the parents go uh, away on a weekend getaway. And uh, that's actually one of the funniest episodes also because it involves, like, the handcuffs. You know, mm -hmm. the story, Rianne um, handcuffs herself to the bed and they have to find a way to get her out before the parents return home from vacation. It was a classic episode. It was extremely funny. One of the funniest, probably the funniest of the entire series. But in that episode, do you remember what happens? Like, she goes on the weekend getaway with Graham. She never for a second, like, enjoys herself or tries to enjoy herself. She's always like trying to plan things and control everyone and control what they do. And she just can never just have fun. It's like, she's such a hard person to be around. Like she's so stuck up and, Oh, some, well, I, some people think, have fun with, uh, can't have fun without planning things. Well, hold on, hold on. Just, I, just I, different. I, I think what Ricky's talking about, I, I don't, I wouldn't single out Patty for what he's talking about. I think I have a general problem with the with the storylines of the parents on the show i think when the parents are interacting with with angela they're great i i love their interaction with angela and, and whenever they're talking about angela or their other daughter um there's something fun and flippant about it uh but the storylines that just involve them or just involve his not really an affair um i i don't I'm not particularly I, I found myself sort of tuning out when they would focus on them too long. I didn't find the writing very interesting. And I think also most this sort of applies to most shows of this ilk, but I, I I feel like I've been spoiled by Friday Night Lights in terms of depiction of TV marriage. Mm -hmm. And I, I I felt like the adults were written almost identically to the teenagers, which felt a little bit and I, maybe that was the point, but it didn't really work for me. Well, I feel that Angela has a lot in common with her mom. Um, I don't have a problem with the relationship between the mom and the dad. I think they did a really good job of fleshing out the older characters, um, given, you know, I mean, they had like, they produced what, 19 episodes? And we still, in, in that one season, we got to really know her, her family, her mom and her dad. We got to know about their high school crushes, how they met, um, you know, the possibility that Graham, the dad, might be cheating on the wife, but they weren't really sure. We have uh, her best friend that lives next door and always comes to visit the mom, and they talk about, you know, things that happened in the past, et cetera, et cetera. But there's, there's a lot of great episodes uh, which really uh, help uh, build on the relationship between Angela and her dad and her mom. Uh, there was two back-to-back -back, actually there was fodder figures and then there was also the episode the zit so this was episode four and five and i really like the episode the zit this aired just a week after the fodder daughter relationship episode and i think it gave us one of the many many examinations of the modern uh, of their mother daughter relationship in the series and more specifically the insecure aging mom and then the insecure pub pubescent like daughter you know what i mean and their relationship and how at times it, it it clashed and they would bump heads and 
that was like also again like another great great episode and th- that was the episode where they had like the student bodies poll and then sharon all of a sudden gets a boyfriend but it's because she um grew boobs yeah thank you and so angela was all of a sudden being insecure because she was still like not developing like like some of her friends were and then there's that whole like weird magical supermodel who appears in the ladies room like that's straight out of like the cover the front cover of like vogue magazine or something and then they they talk about kafka and kafka's metamorphosis well, the whole <laughs> like, episode is a discussion of body image and self-esteem and self-hate yeah. and i think i love the episode this is it it's by far my favorite episode and i think it's one of the best episodes of television it's yes it's in my top 20 when i've listed them before the zit is squarely in there because and this is something that i find interesting about my so-called life this uh is an after school special episode that that's what it is it's every character discusses self-esteem body image and and how insecure we feel and it's it's geared towards the female perspective but all throughout the episode there's you know we get angela sitting in class and she's watching a video about self-esteem and as as regards uh and and body image as regards race uh, racial uh, elements and we're then we we see the girls in the locker room whereas the parents the, the the mom and the friend look at the girl in the magazine and said, oh, God, she looks perfect. And Angela interacts with her. And, of course, in her mind, the girl on the cover of the magazine doesn't even go to the bathroom because she's that perfect. And then the girls in the locker room see her and just tear her down. Oh, she looks terrible. Look at her. Her legs are all weird and, and all this. Stuff. So the even just the the smallest elements in that episode are discussing what it means to be a woman in yeah. our, our society and our culture right now. And if I'm going to single out one episode, this is the episode that every teenage girl should watch because there, I don't think there is a, a teenage girl who hasn't at some point hated how they looked. And just the the journey we see Angela take, it destroys me every time watching this episode. I know. And that's the thing about this episode. That's that's why I think they do a really good job in uh, building the um, the characters, like the older characters, like the parents. Because in this episode, they always have like a parallel between one of the older characters, their story arc, and one of the younger characters. And in this episode, it's all about Patty's fear of, of getting older. And then you have Angela's desire to to be noticed and she's always she always feels like she's unnoticed and that she's not good looking enough and and that she's jealous of the people that are noticed etc etc and well and, and that's Patty... also paralleled with danielle the younger sister trying so desperately to be anything as as noticed as angela is and angela not even picking up on that yeah and you know what's so great about danielle is at first she's somewhat annoying but then she really grows on you and towards the end of the season you really get an, uh, a feel um, for for her character, and you really get to understand that she's going to end up being exactly like Angela when she's older. Because in one of the, the last episodes, I forget the title of the episode. Uh, uh, no, sorry, it was Weekend. Yeah, it was it was like, again the episode titled Weekend, where the parents go away on the weekend getaway. She actually they actually give her a voiceover, a narration. So we had the episode Life is Brian, in which the whole episode revolved around Brian's point of view. But in this episode. They they tweaked it a bit. It was from the point of view of Angela, but every so often we would get 
Danielle, her little sister, also have a voiceover. And then you get to see that she has the same sort of like infatuation with Brian as Angela has with Jordan. And like there's one specific line where Brian walks into the house and he sort of like brushes up against her as he's walking by. And she's like, oh, my God, his arm touched me as he walked by. And she's like she's like this little like nine year old girl has like the hots for Brian, like the same way Angela has the hots for Jordan. And she I love how she's like. She just loves her older sister, Angela, and she loves Ricky and all her friends, and she thinks Ricky's, like, the coolest person in the world. And when that episode ends, it ends with her saying, that was the best weekend of my life, and Angela's saying, that was a weekend from hell. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I love this show. It's so good. Uh, Kate mentioned the after-school specialness of The Zit. I want to single out another episode, which, I mean, I think that the show did did after-school specialness sometimes really well, sometimes less well but I, I think the most striking one for me can i guess go for it you're gonna you're gonna name out the substitute nope oh my uh, the, the christmas episode no we're i'm gonna get to that stop trying to guess uh, i actually <laughs> didn't really like the substitute that much um i'm actually talking about on the wagon which oh, yeah. um, which uh, really focuses on rayanne and i had a really strange I, I had the weirdest time watching the character of rayanne because for for the longest time i just found her the way, the, the way that that she the performance and the character are so in your face that it she can get grating to deal with for long periods of time. Yeah, it's like watching a Cindy Lauper mashup video with the Culture Club on right. repeat but for the, like twenty four hours. But the fact hours. of the matter is, that's kind of what a certain brand of like you know artsy theater nerd kid is like, and that that I thought it was a very accurate depiction. And the thing with On the Wagon in particular is for so much of the first, you know, 42 minutes, they're really going beat for beat after school special on teen drinking. And they're almost doing it. It almost felt to me like they were doing it consciously. And I, and I felt myself getting bored, but then that ending hits with Rayanne, just, you know, just sweeping up that, that, uh, that beer and chugging it. And you're just like, damn. Well, you know, what's funny. Um, I have the exact same view of the substitute because the substitute basically focus on this sort of like toothpick chewing, mismatched sock wearing, honesty advocating substitute English teacher named Vic Racine, who looks sort of weirdly like Kyle McLaughlin from like Showgirls. Like that guy did not belong in a classroom. And it was sort of reminiscent to Dead Poet Society. And it had this very... Like, it had, like, a feel of, like, a, an after-school special also, right? Like, you get the um, those montages of the kids. The kids write. are learning. Yeah, yeah. The, kid, the kids are learning and they're writing and changing their lives. And, you know, it's a kind of episode where you're going to have your eyes rolling, but at the same time, you're totally entertained because of the character. Like, he's just so over-the-top, so cartoonish, so ridiculous. But what I love about this episode, it's also, again, the way it ends because – you know, when you watch a movie like Dead Poet Society, Robin Williams' character doesn't end the movie by us discovering that he's actually a phony. And at the end of this episode, you know, you get to start loving this substitute teacher, despite the fact that he's so incredibly bizarre. And even the kids, the kids love him. Like, they're like, finally, an adult that I can relate to and I can talk to and I can look up to. And then the episode ends and it turns out he's such a phony. And uh, that that to me was like, like a pure example of why my so-called life did it so well. Like 
even though at times it did have the after school special feel to it, they somehow managed to end each and every single episode on the right note. Cause that episode to me was solid. It was subtle and emotionally complex and also funny. And it had this bittersweet ending to it, you know, and the lesson was learned and it was, you know, pretty obvious, you know, people aren't always what they seem to be and heroes aren't always perfect, but I kind of just loved that episode specifically because of how it ended well and also can i i'm just gonna throw in here that's written by jason kadams who went on of course to to be the showrunner of friday night lights and he also was was the writer for life of brian so just it come, comes from a uh it clearly this was someone who would go on to do teen storytelling so well see i felt with, with that one i i felt like i saw the ending coming like it, it wasn't the it wasn't the it wasn't the stab in the gut that the end of On the Wagon is. Now, yeah, I, I, On the Wagon, just that ending, you just feel like you've been punched. At least I did. Yeah, in the well, neck. Well, that's because, yeah, like, but the, the, I agree. But, I mean, the stakes are so much higher at the end of that episode as opposed to this episode. Because this episode basically focuses on this one character that we never see again. But mm -hmm. the really, uh, the other interesting thing about the ending of that episode is Angela decides to take it upon herself to copy and distribute the um the uh what, what what was it exactly the lit i guess uh you mean in the substitute the she there's a book of poetry yeah yeah so the, the, basically the, it also deals with censorship and they um they they don't they don't want the book of poetry to be uh distributed around the school because there's sort of like a raunchy poem that was added in that the principal was against etc etc and angela at the end of the episode she decides to find a copy and copy it multiple times and distribute it throughout the high school and of course she gets caught but the thing is once again at the end of the episode you think that she's going to get like suspended or you know at least in trouble and nothing happens to her there are no consequences and that's again like they they there's just something about the writers and the way they would just like end each episode i always thought it was unexpected i never saw the ending of any one of the episodes coming uh that that being said um the episode that follows on the wagon and you brought it up earlier rick i hate the christmas special i don't like it at all so, it. sorry rick uh it's it's not a good episode <laughs> i know you love it but it's... yeah i do it's just so like the whole addition of a supernatural element is yeah. just so out of nowhere. And why is it Juliana Hatfield? I don't know. And just it's so corny and just feels like an episode of a way not like a not nearly as good show. Oh, I agree. And I like I like elements of it. I do like what the time we spend with Ricky and yeah, I, I like a lot of the stuff with with Angela and Ricky and her parents. I think that's well handled, but it just, it makes the mistake that the other so-called, um, for me, at least the after school, especially kind of episodes avoid, uh, you know, like with on the wagon, that ending just undercuts everything and gives it a realism that is so much more interesting. Um, and, and with the zit and with the substitute, but, and then you get this, the Christmas episode, which just, just, steers into the the skid and just becomes schmaltzy and it for me it just really that i think the angel just takes it over the top and it, it doesn't work i i agree it's corny as hell i mean in my review i wrote if there was any evidence that the series played out like an after school special uh my so-called angels would be the ultimate case study <laughs> i mean it, it actually comes 
it, it, it actually ends with, a, with a, a PSA at the end, voiced by Ricky for an organization that helps locate missing kids. Like, um, but, but there's just something I like about it. And it's, it's not the actual teleplay. I agree that the writing is extremely weak and having her actually be like an angel was just kind of eye rolling. I mean, there's one point where Angela's mom actually turns to, um, what's her name again? Julia H- H- Hatfield. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when she turns to her character and she's like, when did you actually die? <laughs> she's like, or, or no, she's like, how did you actually die? She's like, I froze. <laughs> like, but, but the thing is, I watched that episode and I can't help but laugh, but also just love it. And But the thing I like about the episode, it's the, the direction. Like, I just thought it was so smartly directed. Um, and I, and, I get, and you want to talk about my problems with, with, uh, with Patty, Angela's mom. I mean, this episode pretty much is the episode that puts her front and center and you know, pretty much showcases her has a really judgmental person, someone that's not always pleasant to be around, who's not always necessarily doing the right thing, even though she's like a parent. And her whole struggle is made clear by this like transformation into like Ebenezer Scrooge. But what I really loved about the episode, though, it wasn't the character of like the ghost, a runaway kid. It was because of Ricky. Like to me, Ricky was always the major draw for me personally for the show like i fell in love with ricky and all my friends i know every single one of my friends all say ricky was their favorite character and in that episode that's when we touch on like uh teen abuse uh his sexuality um well i mean his sexuality is touched upon you know many many times but that's the episode where we find out that like you know he clearly has all these problems at home and eventually he runs away from home and it changes the, the focus of his character for the remainder of the season and that's, I think, why I like it speaks to me so much. It's because of his character and what he has to go through. And and uh, yeah, I don't know. I just love the way it ends with Ricky and um, Patty actually like hugging. Well, I, I think Ricky is an interesting case because he's the only he's the least flawed of the teenagers on the show. Like he's mm-hmm. mostly he's very put upon. I mean, he's basically homeless for a chunk of the season and, you know, he's, he's obviously struggling with his sec with expressing himself, uh, ex- expressing his sexuality. And so they don't really find room to give him flaws in the same way as all the other characters. And I think that makes him sort of a natural uh, p- point of identification for people al- along with all the other stuff. Actually, I totally disagree. I don't think he has problems expressing his sexuality at all. I don't think he hides it. Um, I think it's only in the very, very last episode that he actually clearly comes out and says, I'm gay. I think prior to the last episode, like the, the, the rest of the season, people sort of like assume or mention that he might be bi. But in the very last episode, A, he clearly states he's gay. Um, well, no, but he, but he does say, like, I've never said it, and it's strange to say it out loud. Like, he, he's... He makes it clear that he's never elaborated it himself. Yeah, well, but I don't and think he also ever... clearly has because of the abuse he has at home. He doesn't feel that he can express himself without fear of reprisal. In the yeah. the the pilot, Angela and Rayanne and and Ricky go out to that club, and as soon as the cops show up, he he has to, he ducks out of there because he's afraid of getting beat up, and 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 then several uh, with the school dance as well. I mean. I, I think that that they I would agree with Simon that for a lot of the series, while he is very much himself and he doesn't hide who he is, he also is lives somewhat in fear. Well, he lives in fear, but it's it's more of like 
he's afraid of sometimes expressing himself in certain situations in front of certain people, but I think he knows who he is. I think out of all the characters in the show, he's the one that really knows himself best. I think there's no, I don't even think Graham or Patty know themselves as well as Ricky knows who he is as a person. Uh, And that's what I really love about him. And, you know, like, uh, like one of my favorite, favorite scenes in the whole entire series is uh, once again going back to uh, life of Brian. It's when Ricky dances like a wild man with uh, D- Delia to the song "What Is Love," and this is after Brian basically breaks Delia's heart because he was supposed to go to the dance with her, but then he has like he, this. Oh, he he gets delusional and has like this. He he thinks that for some reason Angela wants to go with him to the dance, but she doesn't, and then so he ends up dumping her. And anyway, so at the dance. Ricky and Delia, who are both sort of like these loners and outcasts and don't have anyone to dance with, they end the episode just dancing like crazy. <laughs> like it was well, like... And, and his his scene with Delia in the finale is really sweet as well. Oh, it's yeah. such a sweet, sweet scene. Um, yeah, and then I also really like. There's another great moment in that in that episode where Jordan basically pins Angela up against the uh, the the the, uh, the fence, like, and then uh, he asks her like, "Why are you like this?" And she's like, like how? <laughs> like he's like, like this. And they repeat that exact scene later on in the series. And that's one thing that they do quite often is they'll have a scene, and they did this, I think, with the Halloween episode, and again later with uh, another episode. Oh yeah, it was a Halloween episode and a Christmas episode. There was a scene in the Halloween episode where Rayanne basically confesses some dark secrets to Brian when they're locked in the in the in the basement of the school. And then later on in the Christmas episode. It's reversed, and Brian calls the hotline, and he starts confessing. Of course, not knowing it's Rayanna on the other end of the line, but he starts confessing his feelings and and his darker secrets to her. And the thing about the the, the series is they would always come back to an issue, but reverse the role of with within the two characters. If that makes any sense. Now we unfortunately are running long, actually quite a bit long. Uh, so as much as I'm sure there are many other things we'd like to talk about, I'm going to have to go around and say final thoughts and maybe one favorite episode. Um, Ricky? Um, favorite episode? Wow, this is hard. God, I like them all. I think the best episodes were directed by, um, oh my God, what's his name again? Scott uh, Winans who again went on to direct Breaking Bad. I, and I know a lot of people don't like this episode, but I also really like Guns and Gossip. And once again, it's because the entire the entire episode revolves around my two favorite characters, Ricky and Brian. It's just, it's again, feels like an after-school special, but it's so funny also. So I just thought it was just extremely well-written. So I really like that episode. And then any final thoughts on the series? I don't know. It's notable for its hot topics and, you know, like be it drug, sex, child abuse, runaway teens. I think it's ahead of its time. And I think it remains strong and current even today. And I think the controversial subject matters and story elements are still relevant today. And I think uh, that's what makes it great. It's because it's a show that stands the test of time. Simon? Um, I, I think um, I think it's a solid show. I think it has some episodes that are better than others. I think it's a show that you'll see very differently or or might see very differently depending on whether or not you saw it when you were sort of the age of the characters. I think that could have a, a really tremendous impact on your viewing. Uh, I think it is a great view. I think it's a great watch for anyone that age. And uh, I do think it has some really remarkable high points. And I think also, like with Freaks and Geeks, I think if it, if it had had the chance to keep going, I think it could have gone some really interesting places. 
Can I just say one last thing? I know we're running long, but it's going back to the start of the review. Kate, you said that you didn't understand the fascination with Jordan. Neither yeah. do I. He's an idiot. <laughs> neither do I. I never understood why people were so like hungover uh, with him. Um, yeah. Did yeah. not do it for me. Well, and I also don't get why people like Brian so much. I know a lot of people really like Brian, but he's just as much of an idiot in his own way. Uh, so I really don't get the love for him either. I, he's an interesting character, but... Well, he's he's a lot like Jordan, especially the way he treats girls. But at least Brian takes you to the movies like a movie like The Bicycle Thief. That's pretty hot, I think. <laughs> um, my final thought would on this series would be that, for me, it's... This is nothing like my high school experience. This is not the show. I didn't know these people, and I didn't spend my time this way, and none of this stuff, like what happens in the series, really happened to me. And yet I still think it is incredibly true and, and incredibly worth watching. I didn't see it until a few years ago. And the the first thing I thought was, I wish I had seen this when I was this age. Just something like this it's simple message of just realize that everybody in high school in to some level kind of hates themselves or at least hates how they look uh just the message the messages of so many of these episodes i think are absolutely truthful and uh i also would say that the cast is phenomenal uh, i i think pretty much all the way through but particularly the the kids i'm really i was really impressed by claire danes but also the entire young cast. So I say it's one to definitely check out, and and it's a fabulous gift if you have a teenager who who like who's willing to check out an older series. So Kate, the cast was so good that even Tino was amazing. The mysterious social instigator <laughs> never shows up. Who never shows up? Oh, Tino. That's how good the cast is. And we should just quickly credit Winnie Holzman. It was her series. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think she did a fabulous job. And she doesn't always paint a bright picture on, you know, teenagers, but it's always truthful and realistic. And I think that's more important. Yep. So check out uh, My So-Called Life. It's on DVD. It's kind of hard to, to find online for the most more nefarious amongst our listeners, but you can get it, I believe, on Netflix. So so it's worth it's worth seeking out. And we thank you so much for coming on the show, Ricky. Thank you. And we will be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. Thanks for listening. Thank you.